Hi, this is Rabbi Duvi Ben Shushan from Congregation Magen Abraham, located on East 9th between T and Avenue U. Thank you so much in advance for listening to the following shiur. This coming Thursday night is Rosh Chodesh Adar. Mishnechnas Adar Marbim B'Simcha. But today I wanted to talk about an unbelievable opportunity. The opportunities that this month brings, and especially the Berachot that come along with it. The rabbis, they contemplated that at the time that Purim was instituted, should they make Purim a full-fledged holiday, or should they make it a semi-hag, like the way we actually have it now? Should we make Purim a full-fledged Yom Tov, a day where there's going to be special tefillot for the day, special se'udot for the day, isur melacha, like we know other yomim tobim, or maybe Purim should be a semichag, where the tefillot are still the tefillah of weekday, where you're allowed to work, although there is no simam beracha from the work on Purim, but nonetheless, you're allowed to work, but yet, it's a day of happiness, a semi-yom tov. The rabbis decided to keep it as a semi-yom tov, like the way we have it. And there are many reasons. One reason that's given is because if they were to make it a full-fledged yom tov, they would have to institute at the end of Purim havdalah, like every yom tov. And the Jewish people would not want to ever make havdalah from Purim. It's not a Chag that we'd ever want to leave. And because of that, leave it a semi-holiday. No Havdalah. Like this, we never have to differentiate, separate, and be Mavdil between Purim and the Jewish people. That tells you a lot about Purim. That tells you that there's something about this Chag that empowers the Jewish people year after year. Where Purim was meant not just to celebrate one day of the year, but rather it was meant to empower us to go in with us to the entire year. No Havdalah. So what is it about Purim that's so special that it empowers us to the extent that it was meant to carry us throughout the entire year? I'd like to be able to do Purim today the way we've never done it before. And with that, I'd like to start with the famous song that we all sing on Purim, Shoshanat Yaakov, Sahola Samecha, Bir Otam Yahad, Techelet Mordechai. It's interesting, Shoshanat Yaakov, Sahola Samecha. How happy the Jewish people were. Bir Otam Yahad, when together they saw Mordechai. Mordechai coming out in the royal clothing. That was the moment, the true moment, that showed the victory for the Jewish people, the downfall of Haman. It's interesting. Shoshana Yaakov. It doesn't say Shoshana Israel. Wouldn't it have been more proper to say the Jewish people, how they flourished with such happiness? At the moment they saw Mordechai come out, why are we referred to as Yaakov? Generally, Yaakov 
if it is to refer to the Jewish people, sometimes to the women, over here the entire Jewish people rejoiced. It really should say Israel. I'd like to share with you an idea, and this is something that I thought was amazing. If you take a look, you'll find in the Yerushalmi. The Yerushalmi says that there is a mitzvah that every Jew needs to do on Purim, and if they don't do this mitzvah, they missed out on the entire Chag. Now, if I go around the room right away, we probably start guessing Mishloach Manot, Matanot Lebionim. We probably think Mikra Megillah. That's not what the Yerushalmi says. Says the Yerushalmi, every Jew on Purim must get up and declare, Baruch Mordechai Arur Hamam. Blessed is Mordechai. Cursed is Haman. And says the Yerushalmi, if you don't say Baruch Mordechai, Arur Haman, you missed out on the whole Chag. What's amazing is, that's not just the Yerushalmi. When you take a look at the Shulchan Aruch, Maran, Intaf, Resh, Tzadeh, he writes over there, when he is actually going through the mitzvot of Purim, the first thing he mentions, before anything else, we must declare Baruch Mordechai, Arur Haman. And this is the most important mitzvah of the day. Amazing. Really? Mikra Megillah, Mishloach Manot, Matanot Lebionim, they don't come to this mitzvah, Baruch Mordechai, Arur Haman. What is this mitzvah? Where did it come from? What is it all about? We're about to find out that the essence of Purim is something that literally hangs on this very point. And to me, you know, I always thought about this. We never find this in any other holiday. You know, coming into Pesach, was there ever a time that we saw a halacha that says, comes Pesach, you got to get up and declare, Baruch Moshe, Arur Paro. No, we don't find that. Hanukkah, was there ever a halacha on Shulchan Aruch? That on Hanukkah you get up and you scream, Baruch Hashmonaim, Arur Yavan. We didn't find that. Why only when it comes to Purim? Is there such a mitzvah? As a matter of fact, now we're finding out it's one of the biggest mitzvot of the day. That you have to declare, Baruch Mordechai, Arur Haman. How come Purim we have this and no other holiday? There was a lot of redemptions, a lot of miracles over history, a lot of good guys and a lot of bad guys. Only by Purim, we have the obligation to say, Baruch Mordechai Arur Haman. Why is that? And once we're asking all these questions to get into the real heart and the essence of the Purim day like we've never heard before, I'd like to ask one more question. Minhag Yisrael Din. We have an unbelievable minhag in Klal Yisrael that on Purim, we all dress up. Where did the costumes really come from? Now over the years, we heard all different nice little ideas. But it's amazing, if you look in the Sfarim, it's not really concrete clear. I saw a few different pshatim here and there. Ta'amem min hagim brings that when the Jewish people were bowing down to Haman, it was really only on the outside. On the inside, 
they were saying to themselves, they're bowing to Hashem. And because of that, it was as if they were wearing an outer costume to their feelings. On the inside, it was really a noble Jew, a good Jew. And that's what the costumes represented, that even the sins of the time of Purim was only a costume. It was only on the outside. But on the inside, it was really us all along. It's a beautiful, beautiful concept to think about. But today, I want to try to hit on something much deeper. Maybe something much more. And to do that, we got to start from the beginning of the story of Purim. And I'd like to retell the story in a way that, to me, is exhilarating and fresh. Here is the new Purim story. Why did Haman hate Mordechai so much? Was this just another story of another anti-Semite who comes, there's every generation, there's another Goy, another Jew hater that comes along and just doesn't like the Jews, the rabbis. No, this is much deeper. And the truth of the matter is, this is a vendetta that goes way back. Now, I am not about to tell you the famous Midrash. There's a Midrash that goes off of a Gemara that talks about Mordechai, Haman. Years earlier, they were both generals in the army that went out together to war. Haman's men ran out of food. They came crying to Mordechai. Mordechai told Haman, I'll give you food to keep your people alive along with you, but you have to sell yourself to me as a slave. Haman wrote his name under the shoe of Mordechai because that's the way slaves would do to show their subservience in front of a master that owns them. I'm not telling you that midrash today. Although, I would like you to keep that midrash in mind to be able to flavor in an auxiliary way what I am going to tell you today. Because what I'm going to tell you today is a new idea. Why did Haman hate Mordechai so much? It's much deeper than just another rasha and another year of anti-Semitism. And it goes something like this. It begins with the Targum. Writes the Targum. Haman. Haman hated Mordechai because Mordechai was the great-great-great-great-grandson of Yaakov Avinu. This was an old vendetta. This vendetta went way back to family, deep in family roots. Said Haman, Mordechai, your great-great-grandfather, he ripped off my great-great-grandfather. Your Yaakov, he took and stole the Berachot from my great-great-grandfather Esav. And I'm here to set the score straight. I'm going to set the score straight. This is revenge. Esav was infuriated. And so now was Haman. Haman says, I'm going to take revenge on the great-great-grandson of Yaakov Avinu, Mordechai, and his people. I'm going to wipe out completely men, women, and children. That's right. This is an epic old tale. This story of the hatred, Haman and Mordechai, is really the fight between Yaakov and Esav over the Berachot of Yitzchak Avinu. And because of this, 
Haman was not going to rest until he takes revenge, until he gets back those berachot, until he wipes out Mordechai and the Am HaYehudi. This is a family vendetta. Haman was not going to rest until writes to Vilna Gaon, till the end of the amazing story of Purim, where this went on until the bitter end. And then Mordechai came out on top, as everyone saw, U Mordechai, Yatza'ah, he came out, Bilvush Malchut, and he was wearing magnificent clothing of royalty. Birotam Yachad Techele Mordechai. When we saw Mordechai emerge with royal clothing, that was the sign, the symbol of the Jewish victory over Haman and Esav. And this age-long fight that started generations earlier and continued now between the grandchildren, Haman Mordechai, in the time of Purim, and writes to Vilna Gaon, something cryptic. When Mordechai walked out, there he wore ten magnificent clothing. And the Megillah talks about ten different wordings of Yeshua. That was the moment, writes the Vilna Gaon, that the Jewish people got back the ten things they lost. What does that mean? Says the Pasuk, let's take a look at it. Says the Megillah, in Megillah Tester, Tedvav Yudzayin, Umordechai, Yatzeah Milifne Hamelech, Bilvush Malchut, Techelet, Vachor, Vateret Zahav Gedola, Betachrich Boots Vargaman, Vahir Shushan, Sahola Vesamecha. And there's a whole explanation of exactly how do you get the ten garments. And then, La Yehudim, Hayita, Ora, Vesimcha, Vesason, Vikar. Again, an explanation of where are the ten wordings of redemption. But says the Gaon, there were ten. Why was he wearing ten royal garments? Why were the ten words of that redemption? In order to demonstrate that we got back ten things that we lost. But what does that mean? And what are they? Ladies, I'd like you to open your hearts. And you're going to hear a Purim story like we've never heard it before. This goes back, nonetheless, so far, to even before Yaakov and Esav. Listen to this. Writes to Vilna Gaon, as the Gemara asks, Haman min ha-Torah minayin. Where do you find Haman, the Remez, hinted to in the Torah. You wouldn't believe it. From all places for the Torah to hint to Haman, it's from the Pasuk, Hamin Ha'etz. Going all the way back to the tree of Adam and Chavan Bereshit. The Etz Hada'at, the forbidden tree, the forbidden fruit. That is the place that Torah hints to Haman Harasha. Haman Hamin Ha'etz, a play on words. What connection does Haman have to Adam and Chava and the story of the Etz Hadat? Hamin Ha'etz. Haman answers the Vilna Gaon something brilliant. Brilliant. If you take a look in the Pasuk, it says that right after Adam and Chava sinned 
with that first sin of the Etz Hadat, Hamin HaEtz, Hashem came and cursed Adam HaRishon with ten curses. Like the Pasuk says, Ula Adam Amar, Ki Shamata Lekolishtecha, Vatochal Min HaEtz, Hashet Siviticha Lemar, Lo Tochel Mimenu. Arura Adama Ba'avurecha, Ve'it Savon Tochalena, Ko Yume Hayecha, Ve'kotz Vadadar Tatzmiach Lach, Ve'achalta At Esev HaSadeh, Be'zeat Apecha Tochalechem, Ad Shubchal Adama, Ki Mimena Lukachta, Ki Afar Ata, Ve'el Afar Tashuv. Ten terrible curses. The ground was cursed because of Adam's sin. Adam was cursed. His wife was cursed. Now he's going to have to work with the sweat of his brow. Now no longer will he be immortal. But now he brought death to the world. He's going to return to the ground. He's going one day to see death and be buried. Ten terrible curses that were placed on Adam right after the sin, the first sin of the Etz Hadad. And this is the reason why. Because Adam Harishon, who was supposed to be immortal, but now he was cursed with these ten curses. Years later, when the Avot HaKdoshim came around, Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, one of the great goals and drives that the Avot HaKdoshim were trying to be metaken was to fix and rectify the original sin of Adam HaRishon and all the curses that came to the world due to that sin. And because of that, there was that amazing night. The night that Yitzchak Avinu was going to give the most powerful birachot ever given to the world. Yitzchak Avinu turns to Esav and tells him to go and prepare him a meal. Here is the night of Birkat Yitzchak. And we know that that night, Yaakov Avinu comes in. And he was dressed up in a costume. He was wearing Esam's clothes. He comes into his father Yitzchak. And Yitzchak smells Reach Gan Eden. And Yitzchak goes now to give the blessings to Yaakov. And what does Yitzchak tell Yaakov? V'yiten lecha ha'elohim mital ha'shamayim mishmane ha'aretz rov dagam v'tirosh y'avdu ha'amim yishtachavu lecha b'nei elohim All the magnificent blessings the Birachot of Yitzchak to Yaakov. How many blessings did Yitzchak give Yaakov Avinu that night? Ten Birachot. As Rashi explains it, Biracha by Biracha, exactly ten. Why did Yitzchak give Yaakov ten blessings that night? To counteract the ten curses that the world got from the sin of Adam Harishon. Now Yaakov Avinu and his people, the Jewish people, Yaakov Avinu and the Jewish people were going to be raised above the world. Here's the moment where all mankind was still stuck in the ten curses of Adam Arishon, but the Jewish people, they were about to be relieved from those curses. Yitzchak just gave the ten greatest blessings in the world to Yaakov Avinu to counteract the ten curses of Adam Arishon. Now there's going to be a special people, a chosen people, who are going to be above mankind, who are not going to be anchored by the ten curses, because now you got the ten master keys, the ten blessings,
to counter out all those curses. Amazing. That's why he gave him 10 blessings. And then what happened? Oh, and then what happened? And then Esav walks in. And Esav says, Abba, come, get up, eat, and bless me. Yitzchak says, what? Esav, I have nothing left to give you. What does that mean, I have nothing left to give you? Just because you gave one son a blessing, you can't give the other son a blessing? And now that's the point. This wasn't just a blessing session. This was a very special moment. These blessings had a very specific purpose. They were to counteract the curses that were brought to the world by Adam's sin. Ten curses on Adam, ten blessings on Yaakov to counteract. But once I gave him the ten blessings to counteract those ten curses of Adam, that's it. He has it. It's done. I have nothing left to give you, Esav. You're left with the curses of Adam Arishon. When Esav heard this, he screamed such a scream. Esav says, Abba, there has to be something that you left for me. Something. And after crying, and I'm sure you might remember that speech from years ago, about two and a half tears. It was that last tear, oh boy, that was hanging on the eyelid of Esav. If that tear would have fell, Yitzhak says, okay, stop. Like the mercy that a father has on a son is like no other mercy. Okay, stop. I'll give you a blessing. And out of mercy, Yitzhak tells Esav, till now, when I gave the ten blessings to Yaakov that countered the ten curses of Adam, they were originally given to him, period. But now I'm going to make them conditional. I'm putting in the opt-out clause in the contract. The only time Yaakov Avinu keeps those ten blessings to raise him above the ten curses of Adam is only when he's doing avodat Hashem. Only when he's up. But if Yaakov falls, then you're going to go up, Esav. Then you're going to get the ten blessings. Maybe that's why they were twins. When one goes up, the other one goes down. And when the other one goes up, the other one goes down. Or maybe I should say it the other way. When one falls, the other one rises. And when the other one falls, it gives the opportunity for the other one to rise. And the birachot hang in the middle of the seesaw in the interim. And they're up for grabs, depending on who falls and who rises. And if you take a look at Rashi, Rashi says this clearly right there by the Birkat. Yitzchak Avinu says Rashi, Yaakov Avinu told Esav, Yitzchak rather told Esav, Kishizeh kam, Zenofel. He uses the word Zeh, not even with names. Doesn't matter who. When one falls, the other one automatically rises. And when the other one falls, the other one automatically rises. And that became 
the deed of the night. And now these ten greatest blessings of history, which counter out the ten curses, they're up for grabs, given to Yaakov on condition as long as he stays up. But the moment Yaakov Avinu falls, that's the moment that Esav rises and chas v'shalom. He gets all the blessings. And we're in a very bad situation. Writes to Vulnagaon. Guess what? This was the diabolical, evil plan of Haman. Haman knew this all along. And he was going to even the score. And he wanted to bring back this old epic battle, this old family feud. And he wanted to bring it back to the time of Purim. You're the great-great-grandson of Yaakov. I'm the great-great-grandson of Esav. Your grandfather stole the Berachot from mine. I'm going to take it back. And I know how. And it's with this that writes, I heard from Rabbi Gladstein a magnificent thought. Rabbi Yonatan Eipschitz, Zechit Sadik Libracha. He goes to explain exactly how Haman was planning to do this. Ladies, you got to hear this. This is something out of this world. In the beginning, in the very opening of the Megillah, the Megillah talks about this unbelievable mishteh. It was a party, a worldwide fest that was thrown in honor of the kingship of Ahasuerus. How long did this party go for? Says the Megillah, this party went for 180 days. That's six months. Six months of partying. Where was the moment that the Jewish people fell? The Jewish people sinned in the time of Purim, that the terrible decrees of Haman fell upon us? It always starts with the parties. The parties always get us. <laughs> Doesn't matter what generation it is, we're still battling those same parties. The constant downfall of the Jewish people. It was the biggest party in the world where they were making a round robin of princes and delegates from countries and countries coming around to Ashverosh. Six months of parties. When did this party start? Says the Gemara, it started Aleph Tishrei. It started literally in the beginning of the year on Rosh Hashanah. And it went for six months. Aleph Tishrei. Six months later, that's Aleph Nisan. Now, 180 days. In between six months, there are a few months that are chaser. Matter of fact, every other month is chaser. So that means we need to add another three days. Right? So Yonatan Eitritz, that means if the party started Aleph Tishrei, 180 days later, Six months, but there's also three days. So that means, in essence, it went until Gimel Nisan. When were the Jewish people invited to the parties? They were invited to the strongest sinfest part of the parties from the entire six months. The beginning six months of parties, that was just the uh, runway to kick off the festivities. The Jewish people were brought in what we would call the after party. This was the party with the fireworks all the way at the end, the final finale. 
so that they should get to the heaviest part of the parties. The biggest sins, the part of the parties that were in the capital of Ahasuerus himself, in his castle in Shushan Habira. When was that? That was the very end of the parties. What was the end of the parties? Well, let's take a look. It went all the way until Gimel Nisan. How long did those parties last? Says the Megillah, Yamim, Rabim. Says the Gemara, Yamim is always two, Rabim is always three. So we need to add another five days to Gimel Nisan. Five days added to Gimel Nisan is Chet Nisan, the eighth day of Nisan. Okay? Now, how long did this continue for in the city of Shushan? Says the Megillah, it went for one week. That means Chet Nisan plus seven days is the 15th day of Nisan. That means that the parties that the Jews attended, the house of Ahasuerus was on Pesach night. And that was the moment that we felt so terrible. Do you know who threw those parties? The biggest sin fest parties? The big, what we would call the fireworks, the finale, the part that the Jews were invited to. Says Rabbi Yonatan Eipschitz, Haman was the one that threw those parties. Do you know what his plan was? Says Haman, now's the chance. Now I'm going to get them to fall. Because tonight, says Haman, is the night of Pesach. Do you know what the night was that Yitzchak Avinu gave the blessings to Yaakov and Esav? That was the night of Pesach. Like Rashi writes right there. Says Rashi, Yitzchak asked Esav to bring Shne Gidie Izim. Says Rashi, why did he ask for two? One for Korban Pesach and one for Korban Chagiga. Yitzchak Avinu wanted to celebrate Pesach that night. That night was Passover. The night that Yitzchak gave the ten great blessings to Yaakov to counter the curses of Adam was the night of Pesach. But that also was the night that Yitzchak made the condition between Yaakov and Esav. Whoever falls on this night loses the Birachot and whoever rises on this night gains the ten greatest Birachot of history. And now here's the moment the truth. Here's the showdown. Look at Haman's devilish, terrible plan where he made sure that the Jewish people are going to be brought to the worst part of the party of Ahasuerus with the worst sins on the worst night, on the night of Pesach, the night that the blessings are hanging in the interim because on that night, Yitzchak told us, whoever falls loses him and whoever rises gains him. Until that moment, we were the people with the ten greatest blessings in the world. And then Haman lured us into that party on the night of Pesach. And he got us to fall so bad. And the plan worked. And we lost that night the ten greatest blessings of history. And you know who got him? Haman. Haman's plan worked. He got his sweet revenge. 
He reinvented and brought back and reawakened that age-old fight of Yaakov and Esav. And he brought it back between him and the Jews in his time. And he turned the tables on us. And sure enough, it makes so much sense now. Open the Megillah. In the beginning, the Megillah does not mention anything about Haman at all. All of a sudden, in the third Perek, suddenly a new face comes on the scene. After all the parties are over and after everything is done, suddenly the Megillah introduces somebody. Haman ben Hamedata Haagagi, Tzorer HaYehudim. Now there's a new meaning to Tzorer HaYehudim. You know why we mention him now? Because now he's going to take such a rise. Now that we fell the night of Pesach and he got the blessings, what happened to Haman right after that? He took off! He became the richest guy in the world. He became the most powerful guy in the world. The most popular guy in the world. The right hand to the king. Quietly, he was manipulating the whole kingdom and the whole world. How did he get such power in such a short period of time? Here's the secret. He got a hold of the blessings. And Kishizenofel Zekam. And that night we fell. And that night he took off. And oh, did he take off. And now, Vihair Shushan Navocha. We were in such a very scary position. We didn't even have the blessings of our own forefathers to protect us anymore. Even that we lost. Wow. It's because of this that the Jewish people, Mordechai, in sackcloth, began to pray their hearts out for the Yeshua Hashem. And listen how this unbelievable Yeshua came about. It came about through one of our women of Klal Yisrael. Hashem always brings the Yeshua through a door that no one would expect it to come through. Always a back door. And here Esther Hamalka rises and she comes into the very house that brought our downfall. And Esther and Mordechai figured out exactly the plan of what took place with Haman and how he did what he did and what he got in the interim and how he rose and we fell. And at that moment, Esther Hamalka came up with a genius plan. Esther made the Heshbon. How did Haman become so great? The night of Pesach. Through a party. Says Esther, that's the way you took the Berachot from us? Through a party? The night of Pesach? Says Esther, you know what? I'm going to throw a party too. And this time what you did to us, V'nahafoch, who? I'm going to do right back to you, Haman. And I'm going to get the 10 greatest blessings of history back to the Jewish people, to where it belongs. And sure enough, tells us to Megillah, Esther Hamalka, she calls a private party. For whom? Ahashverosh and Haman. But she was very smart. If she would have done it on the day of Pesach, Haman might have suspected something's wrong. So what did she do, says the Megillah? She called the party for Yud Gimel Nisan. 
two days prior, what you would call a non-evasive day, a day where there's no harm to be done, like this catch Haman off guard. She calls the party for Yud Gimel Nisan. There Ahasuerus comes with Haman, and Haman feels, ah, look how high, how great I became. A private sitting with the king and the queen. Those birachot really took me off to a new level. And there Esther sits with Ahasuerus Haman. And what does she say? Thank you for coming. Could we do another party tomorrow? Why are you pushing off the party? We're here today. Haha. <laughs> okay. Imala Melech Tov, please come back tomorrow with Haman. If that's what the queen wants. So they come back the next day. What was the next date? Yud Dalid Nisan. Oh, we're getting closer. She makes a second party. Imala Melech Tov. She pushes it off. Now one more day. Could you please come back another day? Now they were so gazed. Haman didn't see what was coming. Sure enough, he comes back to the next party. But that day was Tedvav Nisan. That was the day of Pesach. And here is the moment of truth. Esther now cuts up in front of Ahasuerosh, in front of Haman. And she tells Ahasuerosh, that this evil guy, he's the one that wants to kill me and my people. I'm a Jew. Suddenly, Haman says, wait one second. What's today's date? Today's Tedvav Nisan. Today's Pesach. The queen. She's a Jew. Oh no. He puts it together. If I fall today, today is the date that the Birachot hang in the interim. Today's Pesach, the day that when the one who falls loses the Birachot and the one who rises gets the Birachot. She's going to do to me now what I did to the Jewish people with the parties of Ahasuerosh. Haman jumps. He starts to beg for his life, realizing that if he falls today, he loses everything, all the ten great birachot of Yitzchak Avinu. He's going to get back the ten curses of Adam. At that moment, Haman starts to cry. And guess what? Ahasuerosh also catches what just took place. Do you know how we know that? Do you know what Ahasuerosh says? Mi hu ze hu. What did we say, the wording of Rashi? the night of the Birachot. One is going to fall and one is going to rise. Says Ahasuerosh, what do I do now? Which ze is going to go up and which ze is going to fall? What do I do? Do I go with the Malka, the Jews? Or do I go with Haman? Because the moment I go with one of them, automatically, when one falls, the other one's going to go up. And because of that, Ahasuerosh walked out. He didn't know what to do. And that was the moment that Borei Olam brought the Yeshua. Haman comes crying to Esther. And what does the Pasuk say? 
והמן נופל על המיטה. המן took a fall. That was the moment that Ahasuerosh comes walking in and he sees that Haman falls, not just on her bed, but he took the fall of a lifetime. That was the fall of Haman. Hagam, in my home, you're going to take over the Malka. That was the moment that Haman falls. On what day? On Pesach. The day that the Birachot were in transition. Like Yitzchak Avinu, who put out the condition years prior. That was the moment that Zenofel Zekam. Haman fell that day, and that was the day that the Jewish people got the ten greatest blessings back from history. That was the day that Haman was hung. Haman was hung on Pesach. And that was also the day that Mordechai comes out with all those magnificent ten clothing. And the ten wordings of Yeshua, Laihudim, Haita, Orav, Simchav, Sason, Vikar, Saholav, Samecha, Berotam Yahat, Chelet Mordechai. Why ten garments? Why ten wordings of Yeshua? Because that was the day we got the ten blessings of Yitzchak Avinu back to the Jewish people. You know why? Zenofel Vizekam. Amazing. And if you watch this, as it unfolds throughout the entire Megillah, you'll see so many times, Esther says, Ladat Which Zeh is going to go up, and which Zeh is going to come down? Haman, when he saw that Mordechai was not bowing down to him, you know what Haman said? This Zeh that I went up high, it's not worth it if I don't have Mordechai bow down to me. I want that too. We see it constantly in the Megillah. And if that's the case, what's the essence of Purim? The essence is here's the day that the Jewish people were given back the ten blessings of Yitzchak Avinu that countered the ten curses from the son of Adam Arishon. Here's the day that you must declare Zekam Zenofel, or in the words of Halacha, Baruch Mordechai, Arur Haman. Now you understand why in the Shulchan Aruch it writes that you must declare Baruch Mordechai, Arur Haman, because that's the essence of those days. That's the beauty of Adar. Here's a month that we got back the greatest blessings of the universe. This is the month that reminds us that we're a blessed people, a Baruch people. What's amazing is that in this month, the rabbis tell us the tefillot are so strong. This is the month that if you have a court case with a goy, now in Adar is the time to bring him because this is the time of Zenofel Vizekam. This is the time that they fall and we have risen to get back all the blessings of the Jewish people. I think that there was never a time before that we could use Yeshuot in Kalal Yisrael. Let's recognize what's about to happen Thursday night. Rosh Chodesh Adar is here. Mishnichnas Adar, 
Marbim b'simcha, but now that we know the deeper story, we see how much more it means to us now. It's not just marbim b'simcha. It's marbim b'simcha in the way that we can rise in this month so high that we can connect with the greatest blessings that in this month was given back to Jewish people. And if that's the case, now you understand the point of the costumes. That was the point all along. Yaakov Avinu walked into Yitzchak in a costume. He was wearing furry clothes of Esav. Maybe that's where all those teddy bear costumes come from. He was literally wearing the hairy clothing of Esav. He was wearing a costume. The night that he got the costume was the night that he got the ten berachot. Purim is the day that we got the berachot back from the moment that Yaakov was wearing the costumes. So we wear costumes on Purim to remind us, you know what we got back today? We got back today the ten greatest blessings given to our great-great-grandfather Yaakov Avinu when he walked in with Esav's costume in front of Yitzhak. And that's the reason why. More than ever, look what's going around in the world now, day after day, newscast after newscast. We're listening to how the world is nofel. Now's the time for us to come. This is the month of Adar, the month of blessings. Leads into the month of Nisan, month of Yeshuot. Let's pray that we should be zocheh to receive back again the blessings in return so we can go to a geulah krova. Amen.